welcome to the Acupuncture Outsider podcast. My name is Richard Hazel, and in the time it takes for you to commute to or from work, I hope to have shared something of interest about orthopedic acupuncture using motor points, trigger points, myofascial slings, neurofunctional acupuncture, segmental treatments, anything that crosses my mind that seems to be of interest. I hope you'll enjoy it. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Acupuncture Outsider. This is Richard Hazel and today I wanted to talk about some of the differences between trigger points and motor points and when you know that you need to be hunting for trigger points. Um, because it's not always about pain referral patterns. It can also be uh, just a joint function issue. So, you know, if you're really working on um, range of motion, things like that, um, understanding that there are trigger points can improve your results. So let's just talk really quick. Um, trigger points for people who are not um, um, that familiar are really where the muscle has begun from overuse, injury, pain, trauma. Um, the muscle, the little muscle um, fibrils start to, to stay in a contracted state. And they, so they're pulling, they're putting some tension on the, the entire muscle. Those little contracted fibrils can get irritated. And when they get irritated, they're full of pain chemicals. So they, they can start causing pain, not just in the trigger point, but in other areas. Um, they usually refer pain along fascial planes. Um, and so you'll see, you'll see um, interesting pain referral patterns for, for different muscles. And I highly recommend if you're, if you're going to treat pain as, as your primary focus, you really need to look at the Travell and Simon's work and really start one chapter at a time reading every chapter, understanding pain referrals, because it's going to really, really help you to recognize um, what you need to treat immediately. You're not, you're not wasting a couple treatments trying to figure out something. Why is it hurt over here when this is the problem? Um, so, so there are many cases where you will need to, to treat trigger points to get somebody completely out of pain. My method is to always do motor points first on the muscles that are affected. So let's say I've done a, an assessment of the shoulder and I figure out what muscles I need to treat. I treat those muscles and then I have the, then I take the needles out. I have the patient mobilize. I do the testing again. If there's no pain, then we're good for that treatment. Probably have them follow up and we'll work more to make sure that it stays. Um, if they are, um, if they still have some pain, then I am going to start hunting for trigger points that are that are causing that pain. Because basically, pain joint pain is a symptom of joint dysfunction, and joint dysfunction is very often caused by imbalances of the muscles that cross the joint. Now, when you when you've seen somebody, you you really want to make sure that you know if they've had that they've had imaging done, et cetera, so you know. Um, they've been cleared as it's that it's not a major tear like a labral tear or um, you know a rotator cuff tear etc um, 
I'm not saying don't treat, but I'm but I am saying don't expect them to get better if they do have some sort of uh, soft injury, uh, soft tissue injury. If they're not getting better, let's say it's an acute injury, they come to you first because you've helped them before. You just want to be clear that if it's not getting better, you really need to go see your doctor. I want you to you know get that checked out. Um, very often we can help people with an acute injury to not no longer have any pain. It's always nice if their insurance covers an MRI and they can they can confirm that there's nothing going on. But not everyone's in a good situation financially where they can have that done or where their insurance company will um, will cover it. So um, just putting it out there. Oh, you know, and the other thing I wanted to say about trigger points is that it, it would be very rare situation where somebody has chronic pain that's been going on for months and years where they don't have trigger points um, causing the problem. Not only does pain cause the trigger points to form, but you can pretty much rely on the fact that they would have gotten better faster with the normal standard of care and physical therapy if there had not been trigger points. But they've continued to have a problem or perhaps after surgery, they didn't get the result that everyone expected them to have. The, the surgeon is going back, doing another MRI, says, no, nope, my work is good. There's nothing wrong here. Um, that person is very likely having pain because joint function caused by trigger points. So we start out with a motor point treatment, treating the muscles of, of let's say, the hip. Um, let's say they've had a hip replacement and they're, and the doctor says, no, my MRI is good. There's, there's no adhesions. There's nothing going on in here. Um, go back to physical therapy or take your ibuprofen or whatever they're suggesting. Um, that person is usually very frustrated and they're coming in for help. And what we're going to do is we're going to treat the muscles that are causing joint dysfunction with motor points. And then we're going to see how they feel in the room during the treatment. And when, if they still have discomfort and pain um, after the motor point treatment, then we're going to hunt for trigger points. What often happens is that they feel really good just after the motor points. And then when you see them the next week, they'll tell you, I was great for three or four days, and then I got really active, and I was doing stuff in the yard, and it flared up again, and now I'm having pain again. That person very likely has trigger points that we need to find. Because that what you'll see is that the motor point treatment relaxes enough of the muscle that they no longer feel the, the joint dysfunction caused by the tight bands of muscle from the trigger point. But once they get back to being active and things start to tighten up a little bit more, then they tip into the level of, of joint dysfunction that is reproducing the pain that they were having. So we need to treat those, those trigger points very often. For like a hip patient, you're going to see trigger points in the TFL and the glute minimus a lot. That's a really common thing. And if it's an internal hip issue, it may be adductors. Um, you may need to, but I don't do, I don't try to do any sort of trigger points for the psoas, but the psoas can definitely be involved in, in a, like a hip impingement. Um, you may need to look at the quads. 
you may need to look at the hamstrings based on their pain patterns. But I can tell you if, you, if you're dealing with a, a hip replacement patient, almost always you're going to end up treating almost every muscle of the hip in with motor points at some point. And then you're going to be hunting for trigger points. And that could be piriformis. It could be other deep rotators. Um, but I know I need to use, I need to do some, some trigger point dry needling on tight bands in order to get the person out of pain long-term. Um, one of the things you'll see, you don't always need uh, pain referral to know that trigger points are causing joint dysfunction. Um, one good example would be where someone has had a shoulder injury, they're no longer in pain, but they don't have the same mobility that they had before. So I have one patient, she's over 60 years old. She had had a shoulder, She, I think she. the diagnosis was um, bursitis in her shoulder. So I was treating her right shoulder and she was doing very, very well after several treatments. I think maybe so after the first treatment, she was way better. Okay. There were a couple trigger points that we needed to get through over the course of maybe six or seven weekly treatments. Um, I had, she had a deltoid trigger point that I had to release. She, she, was she felt so good the next week but she said oh i was mad at you the day after it was <laughs> and she was joking but she wasn't mad but she she said no i wasn't mad I, just, I knew you told me it would be sore but it was really sore and then it was miraculously better but she had a deltoid trigger point that i had to resolve she had trigger points um in the supraspinatus that were still that had been causing pain um what was interesting though is even when she was out of pain, if she, she was, she said, you know what, I just, I have so many bras that snap in back and I can't wear any of them because I can't reach in back. And so that her biggest problem, like from the aptly scratch was, was doing, you know, internal rotation and, and adduction with her, you know, hand so that she could touch her lower back and reach up to about mid back where she would fasten the strap, what the the bra strap, and and she said, I really just wished that I could get back to being able to touch my mid back to 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 be able to wear the bras that I prefer to wear. So um, so what I started working on with her was the trigger points in her infraspinatus teres minor and her supraspinatus and that made all the difference and it probably took us two or i think it took us a couple visits to get to where she could touch her mid back again she she felt we could see the big we, we could see a change after the first treatment but you know she's over 60 i really wanted to be conservative with how much needling i was going to do of her infraspinatus it's not fun um, getting trigger points released in 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 your infraspinatus, but but it's a perfect example of where trigger points or these tight bands of muscle. You can just think of it as tight ropey bands that you're treating. You know, the the word trigger point makes it sound like it's some sort of dot. Um, it's not. They're they're tight 
bands of muscle that we need to release. But those tight bands were restricting her mobility, even though she wasn't really having any more shoulder pain. That's a perfect example where trigger points are still causing some joint dysfunction. She wasn't having the bursitis pain, but she was still unable to really reach her back as she had been able to before. And she worked with a personal trainer. Uh, she was really being very proactive. Um, but by working through those trigger, oh, okay. So I want to say I got, let's say I got maybe, maybe 50% better um, mobility after releasing infraspinatus trigger points. But what made the big difference was then to treat some tight bands or trigger points in her supraspinatus made a big change in her ability to touch her mid back. It, she was so happy to, to be able to reach her mid-back after that. So I think we did a follow-up of the same two muscles um, a few weeks later. We were, we'd been spreading things out because she was no longer in pain. And she was working with a trainer. So she was doing her own sort of stretching and strengthening. But that's a great case. I, I had, a, I had a, a patient who's about uh, 70 this last week. And I... I started working on her her knees. She's been in knee pain for five years, six years since uh, surgery, and um, and she she felt huge improvement after her first visit, um, just doing motor points. And but she came back the second visit. She said, "You are a miracle worker. I cannot believe how much better my knees are, and I can go up and down stairs one leg at a time. I don't have to do, you know, one." Um, one step and then bring the other one up, you know, basically um, only going up with one leg. Um, she was doing so, so much better. Um, but she still had some pain. But she, what she said was, now that this is not my, all of my attention focused on managing pain, constant knee pain on her right knee, she said, now I'm really aware of my upper trap area she pointed to where it was i don't think she said trapezius but she said my upper back and you know my neck um it was really bothering me the other day i'm hoping you can help me with this so i of course treated for her knee pain again and by the way at the end of that treatment she said oh my god i have zero knee pain and i have much better flexion knee flexion now but then she then we worked with her I put her on her side and I was able to grasp. Uh, I, we, I already knew from, she. I asked her if I could palpate her upper back. and She said, of course. And I said, okay, do you feel this really tight ropey band back here? Oh, she's a retired nurse, so we could talk a little bit more anatomy. But this tight ropey band in back here um, is your levator scapulae. This is really what's causing your problem and pain. If I can, if I'm going to try to, release it a little bit with some electric stim, but I have a feeling I'm going to need to grasp it and do a little dry needling technique, get the muscle to twitch and release. She's like, you do whatever you have to do. I trust you. you and I was, uh, so I basically I put her on her side. I was able to release some of the tight ropey bands in her upper trapezius, which was then nice and soft and supple. I got a little bit of a twitch on the posterior border of the levator scap right where it comes out from underneath the the uh, scapula um, but I often need to do 
that release with the patient seated. So if I don't think that they're ready, if, if they're a nervous patient, that I'm not going to have them seated. I don't want anyone passing out. But she was totally like fine with all of it. And I said, I can get a better release of this levator scap with you seated if you're okay with it. She's like, yeah, sure, that's no problem. And so I was telling her, you know, the back border, uh, those fibers in the back are the ones that go all the way up to C1. And they'll cause a lot of um, neck tension. So it makes it hard to turn your head. So if I can release this really tight band back here, not only will it relieve your your pain, your upper back, upper mid back pain, but will improve your neck mobility. So I'll be having you, you know, turn your head to see if it feels better. So I was able to release that, and she could not believe that she could turn her head as far as she could turn it. She said, "I don't know how many years I've gone unable to turn my head to the right," and she could turn it better, actually better than I can on my own neck. She, she could. She could turn and she said, I can see you behind me when she's turning her head to the right. So that is a good case for treating the trigger points, the tight ropey bands in the muscle, not just for pain, but for mobility. Um, I would, I'll just say there are a couple things. Um, if you treat migraines, many, many people have migraines from a cervicogenic headache that tips into a migraine. So neck muscles are a huge part of migraines. You can get that entrapment of the occipital nerves by the trapezius uh, aponeurosis or from the SCM where it attaches at the mastoid, or you can get um, an entrapment of the occipital nerves by the semispinalis capitis. And what you'll typically see is trigger points in the upper traps that caught that that trigger migraines and you'll find trigger points in the supraspinate in the semispinalis capitis that cause migraines you have to be able to release the tight bands to deactivate the trigger point and release tension off of the back of the head where it can entrap the the occipital nerves the greater occipital or the lesser occipital those those entrapments are because of a lot of tension that comes from the upper trapezius, um, sometimes middle trapezius, sometimes even lower trapezius. Um, but you absolutely must be able to release trigger points for the migraine patients who have migraines because of trigger points and muscle tension that affect the neck and especially the occipital nerves. So that's just a must uh, for trigger points. Um, there, there are other situations where you know you need to treat the trigger points, like sciatica. Um, you, you do some motor points and the person doesn't feel much relief. You're going to have to hunt for trigger points in the piriformis, the superior gemellus, especially, sometimes the obturator internus and, and inferior gemellus, more likely superior gemellus and piriformis, and sometimes even the gluteus medius or the gluteus minimus can cause a sciatic pain referral. So those are trigger point musts. And you'll only know 
if you're having your patient mobilize in the treatment. Um, if you don't have time to do that, then you may just expect to, that they'll have to do a follow-up. So I would recommend don't make them wait a full week for a follow-up. If, you, if, you're, if you're not able to work on those trigger points that are still perpetuating the sciatica, um, don't make them wait a whole week. Um, you know, try to book something for the you know next day or two days, and then just get at it with those trigger points when you see them, because it's really essential to restore function to the hip to take pressure off of the sciatic nerve. Um, and you're going to see those trigger points will will activate even if it is a discogenic sciatica. So you're not getting out of trigger points just because it's discogenic. You're going to, you know, you might be treating segmentally. You're still going to have to treat along the sciatic pathway all the way down to the peroneals. And then you probably, you're still going to have to find those trigger points because pain will cause trigger points. And most of the time someone with sciatica has had um, other bouts of sciatica before and those trigger points are very active. They're very activated. So that's a case where you definitely need to be able to hunt for trigger points and know how to release them. Um, I just, I, I think I said it just now, but uh, earlier, but you rarely are going to find someone with chronic pain who, who does not need your skill in finding and treating trigger points if you want to get them out of pain. I think it becomes, um, I think sometimes people find that 20% that don't seem to get better from just motor points and they make some assumptions that they shouldn't, like it's a lifestyle thing or it's they're not ready to be better because they identify too much with their pain or they're too old. They can't, they're just, they're just too old. They're just too depleted. Um, I really think, you know, the good thing about chronic pain patients is that they've been to the doctors. They've been to the specialists. They have imaging. They've had um, e, uh, EMGs. They, they've had all the testing. They may have had multiple interventions um, with corticosteroids, and, you know, epidurals and nerve ablation, etc. The chronic pain patients have been through it. They have all the documentation to give you the confidence that what they're dealing with is going to be musculoskeletal. So you're with a chronic pain patient, you're set to go that there's not some sort of bone spur or something that you are supposed to catch that nobody else caught. You know that that everything that the doctor has done, they believe the patient should be better, but they're not. So the cause is very likely, high percentage of the time, is going to be trigger points that did not release, that will not release. So you start out with the motor point treatment, you see how they go, how they do, and then whatever isn't better very likely has trigger points. So you're going to have to learn to palpate for them 
And you're going to have to learn not only how to release the trigger points, but how to communicate very well with the patient to give them a sense of calm, that you know what you're doing, you can reproduce the pain by palpation, you can tell them what it's going to feel like when you start to release the trigger point, you're gonna check in with them every maybe 30 seconds and just make sure that they're okay while you're releasing that trigger point. And then you're gonna tell them how it's going to feel for the next hour, very sore, maybe uncomfortable, how it's going to feel tonight, mostly sore when you just push on it, how it's going to feel tomorrow, stiff, sore, what they can do about it, heat, um, massage, get in the sauna, get in the hot tub, have a hot bath, have a hot shower, but, but move the blood circulation, get the blood circulation going. And, and you want to tell them that if it feels worse tomorrow, it's okay. It will get better and it very likely will be better within 24 hours after the pain, like after that night. So that the next day, the second day after treatment, very likely going to be much, much better. But there's a lot of communication involved. I was treating a physical therapist um, last week and I was... I was saying, you know, one of the most difficult things about our job is the patient personalities and managing expectations, managing anxieties, managing uh, all of the things that go along with treating someone who's been in pain for a long time. At first, maybe they, maybe they want to trust you because their friend told them that you were great, but they're having you know, some discomfort from the treatment and you've got to walk them through it. If you can predict what they're going to feel when they feel it, they trust that it's okay. I can't imagine trigger point release, like going into a trigger point without having told the patient exactly what they're going to feel. I just can't imagine like, what must that be like if you're if you're just a silent practitioner and you're just going to do your thing? Um, the patient should always know. They should think you're psychic because you can tell them what they're going to feel when you press on the trigger point. You can tell what they're going to feel when the trigger point twitches. And if you haven't been needled, dry needled for trigger points, then you need to find someone who can do this so you know what it feels like. I mean, obviously, I don't think you should be treating trigger points if you aren't trained to do it. And in that training, you should have experienced being needled for trigger points because uh, you need to be able to tell your patients what, what it feels like. I, I really like to be able to tell my patients when I get dry needled for my upper traps and levator, I'm usually swearing uh, through the whole thing, but I know I need it and I always feel way better after, and I know I'm going to be in some discomfort for an hour after treatment, and I know I'm going to be way better in 24 hours, and I will tell them, I know what it's like, I know how this feels, and it's totally worth it. So really patient communication is everything. When you, when you know that you're working with, oh, and by the way, chronic pain patients are tough, okay? 
you you really are so lucky to be working with chronic pain patients when you're doing trigger points because they very often it, it doesn't rise to the level of their attention when when you're doing trigger point release they they feel it but they can be so tough um and i'm talking about people of all ages so you're really lucky to work with pain patients because they because they will let you do what you need to do to get the best result your acute pain patients are the ones that are going to be like um, kind of uh, dramatic and babies about it, like like I am when I'm getting my upper traps treated. But um, anyway, so those are some great um, those are some great examples of when we need to be able to treat trigger points. Um, I'm going to put it out there that Dan and I uh, are doing um, a seminar in Amsterdam in October, and I will be uh, teaching my favorite trigger points for um, head and neck, upper extremity. Um, there, there, are, there are a lot of really good trigger points that you need to know for treating, oh, like shoulder stuff, like the infraspinatus trigger points, things like that. Um, I'll be teaching those trigger points with the assessment treatment of um, head, neck, shoulder, upper extremity issues. So um, if you're interested and you haven't yet been able to train in a live course for trigger points, I highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. It is a skill. No different from learning to play the piano. You could probably try to learn from a YouTube video, but you really need to be hands-on. You got to be in the room with someone who knows how to do it so that they can give you the tips to speed up your process. Like if I can give you a tip from something that I had to figure out on my own and now I know it, you don't have to wait until you've treated X number of people before realizing that you could have done it this other way and gotten a better result. So, you know, like live courses are so key. You get to be fast forwarded to a better place where I, who had almost no one to rely on, had to figure things out. I figured these things out and I like to share them so that you don't have to be treating multiple people over the course of time and and struggling and and then find the right way to do it or the best way to get the result. So, okay, so if... Um, if you didn't know, I'm on Instagram, Rich Hazel, um, Podia courses, uh, richardhazel.podia.com. And um, what else? No, I guess that's it. Oh, you can check out my website. My website, I just updated it to, to focus more on online courses and live courses. Um, so you can go there to richhazel.com. Okay. This was a long one, but I uh, hope there was some information in there that was of interest. And uh, Have a good week. I will talk to you soon.